You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning, North Valley. Hey, uh, this morning, I want to welcome a special guest and a really good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mark Moore. He is a scholar, pastor, theologian, a good friend of mine that is going to be teaching uh, God's Word to us this morning at North Valley. Uh, I am going to be in the White Mountains by the time you see this and uh, skiing and snowboarding with my father, mother, uh, my daughters, uh, my uh, my son, and my wife. So we're going to be all up in the White Mountains enjoying some time together as a family. And I can't wait to hear this message online. And you're in for a really great treat this morning. Uh, a great opportunity to dive into God's Word together, continuing on in our series, Love and Marriage, through the Song of Songs. So please uh, welcome uh, to the platform this morning, uh, Dr. Mark Moore, and uh, let's give him a great North Valley welcome. Have a great morning. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here on behalf of my friend. Ryan is, uh, he's one of the good guys. And I'm a, I'm a pastor in a little church up the, up the road. And one of the things I love about Ryan is he cares about the Big C Church, not just North Valley Church. And he's helped other people around the valley build their churches as well. You should be proud of your pastor for that. And so when I had an opportunity to help him get away with his family, just show up and, and bring the word a little bit, I, I was delighted to, to be with your family here today. We're talking about uh, the art of dating. And of course, you know, uh, in the Song of Solomon, they didn't really have dating. It's a bit anachronistic because they were all arranged marriages, which may seem odd to you that parents would choose for, you know, a, a teen or early 20s, their spouse, because, you know, teens and 20s are so good at making lifelong decisions themselves that it's shocking that, you know, you'd make that decision for them. But it's really the, the art of dating, it doesn't just apply to those who are pre-marriage, if you're married now, you realize the importance of the art of dating even post-marriage. So this is a message for everybody. And I wanted to start the way you always do with the reading of Scripture. So I want to invite you to, to stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read this together. Only instead of me reading it for you, chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, verse 7, I want us to all read it. And there's, you're going to see on the screen, some of the Scriptures say, He... And if you're one of those, uh, go ahead, dudes, you read that. If it says she and you're one of those, uh, ladies, you read that. If you're confused, ask your neighbor. They'll clarify for you which you are. And when it says friends, then all of us will read it together. Let's, let's begin by reading God's word, chapter 1, verse 8. Friends, if you do not know most beautiful of women... Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold studded with silver.
How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless this reading of your word and us to your service. In the name of Jesus, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. A couple things you might have noticed. Uh, Women talk more than men. No secret there. This This is something shocking to the guys. The naughty talk was the women. And they actually think about this stuff more than you think they think about it. Because they blush and they act all shy, but in their heart of hearts, in their minds, in their little girls' tea time, there's some... Is it warm in here? Uh, Obviously, they didn't have dating back then, but there are five things that I pulled from this passage that I just noticed would help my dating life, and if you want to come along and help yours, that would be okay as well. Here's principle number one. It's in your program. Women outsmart and outnumber men. What? Notice that it's the women who are thinking about dating more than men. They've already thought about it long before you've ever thought about it. And not only do they think about it before, think about it longer, think about it better, they gang up on us. They really do. So I taught at a college, New Testament, for over 20 years. So I've always watched these women and men get together. Women do to men what men do to deer in the wild. They prepare, they load their weapons, they hunt you. Now the women that will go in their arsenal, otherwise known as a bathroom, and they put on their perfume and they put on their makeup and they, they get all dressed up and they, when, when a woman sees a guy, and I saw this on the college, a woman sees a guy and she goes, I want that. And she is going to go get that. So she stalks him. She knows where he walks, what classes he goes to, what sports he likes. She goes and buys a jersey of his favorite team and acts like she's a fan. It's really deceptive. And then she'll go position herself where she knows he walks every day. And she's all dolled up. She smells good. And she stands there where she knows he's going to walk there. He comes by and she goes, oh, hi. I didn't know you were going to be here. You liar. You knew very well he was going to be there and you are stalking him and your girlfriends are complicit. They help you do this. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that. 
Here's something that shouldn't surprise us. It is the friends that open this up in chapter one, verse eight. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. She planned it all along. She likes him, she wants him, she goes and gets him. Rule number one of dating is that women, dudes, they're gonna outsmart you and they're gonna outnumber you every time. You're already whipped whether you know it or not. Maybe I should remind you also, in nine days, it's Valentine's Day. Dudes, I know you have a two-day prime shipping on Amazon. I wouldn't wait. Do you, do you know when she started thinking about your Valentine's gift? February 15th, 2016. And if you don't put some thought into this, your Valentine's Day will suck. Uh, I, I also should say this, because this is, this is true not just about dating, but every human relationship. Theologically, every relationship you have is God's gift to you to learn how to have a relationship with him. And that's why the Bible talks about brothers and sisters in Christ. It talks about God as father. It talks about uh, spiritual mothers. It talks about uh, the, the relationships we have. In fact, even the intimacy of a husband and wife in the bedroom is compared to Christ and his church. You know that. So the reason you want to date well is not just so you can have a satisfying love life, it's so that you can have a satisfying worship life. Because what, what we're doing here is really practice for worshiping and connecting with God in the most intimate and vulnerable ways. And so God has given us this gift of dating and romance so that we can worship him well. What we get along the way are just bonuses for what we will experience in eternity worshiping our God. Now, now with that in mind, I, I should tell you point number two. Women hear their beauty. Women don't see the beauty in the mirror. They hear their beauty from what you say to them. Women will, will believe about themselves whatever you tell them to believe about themselves. One of, the, one of the smartest things I ever did in marriage, and I, I don't even know where it came from because I'm not that smart with romance. My, my wife was, was talking about losing weight. And I said, honey, I, I don't need you to be skinny. I need you to be healthy. And something about that just tapped in. She's, she is the perfect, like my wife is the only measure of beauty for me. So her, her height, the color of her eyes, the color of her hair, that is my measure of beauty. And if you want to have a good marriage, that becomes your measure of beauty as well. Whatever she is, that is what is most beautiful to me. So Solomon gets this. He says, I liken you, verse 9, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, which is a dangerous thing to say to a woman, I suppose. You know, you're calling a woman a horse. Of course. Uh, I remember Josh Hollander skinny little kid that he was dating this beautiful co-ed on campus. He totally outkicked his coverage. And he took her down to the creek that was on our campus. And they were, they were uh, jumping into this uh, called Turkey Creek. It's terribly romantic. They're jumping in there and they're in their swimsuits. She, of course, because she was a Christian, had a one piece, not a bikini. But they got out of the water and they were both wet. And he kind of gave her a little a slap on the small of her back. 
And you know, there's a little indentation on the small of your back. And if you have a one-piece swimsuit that's wet, when you slap it, it makes a very distinct sound. He thought it was an interesting sound. And so he commented on the sound. This is important, the sound. He said, that sounds like I'm slapping a sperm whale. He was talking about the sound. That's not what she heard. It took him like a month to recover from that idiocy. And so here was a rule that I, I've shared with a lot of other guys. Maybe this will be helpful to you as well. I shared with Josh that day. I've shared it with a lot of other guys. Here's the rule. Under no circumstances is it ever okay to compare your beloved to any aquatic mammal. Right, just run the gamut. It, ne- it never works well for you. So you need to know how to, how, to, how to talk to this woman. And guys, I just want to tell you this. This doesn't start with the woman you date. It actually starts with her father. One day in class, my, my son was actually in my class and he's sitting on the right side of the room and I'm looking on the left side of the room and I, I'm, I may be an old dude, but I'm not blind. I saw the most physically attractive young college girl I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm going, like, I can't, like, there's a conflict of interest here. I'm the teacher. I have, I could make it happen, but that would be illegal. So I, I'm just looking at my son going, dude, do you see that over there? Well, eventually he did, and eventually they dated, and two months into their dating, he came to me and said, Dad, how do I, how do I break up with her without breaking her heart? I said, what's, what's wrong? Because she was, she was the only Christian of her family. She was physically gorgeous. She was a servant heart. She was spiritually mature. And he said, here's the problem. Her father, who was in prison, uh, he was a drug addict, berated her, told her she was ugly, told her she was stupid. And he said, I can't have a conversation with her. She's a great listener, but I can't get her to tell me her feelings because she's so afraid that I'll reject her like her father did. My son lost a spouse because of that. I just wanted to go in that prison and beat the tar out of that guy. Men, you you just have to understand this. Your daughter's self-esteem is in the palm of your hand. What she sees in herself will be what you say to her because women don't see their beauty, they hear their beauty. And even my own daughter, she was, my daughter's a gorgeous young woman, now has two children of her own. But when she was in high school, all the boys in high school said, oh man, she's hot. That's what they said before I removed the dangly thing on the back of their throat with vice grips. But she didn't believe any of the boys. And it was so funny because, you know, when, when girls are teenagers, their dads are idiots. Well, she wasn't completely wrong, but she didn't, my opinion meant nothing to her. That that's what she wanted me to believe, but I knew better. And I remember the night of her prom, she came walking down the stairs and she wanted to be this independent woman, you know, pretending like she was an immaculate conception. She had no parents. She just popped out on her own and she comes down and she wants to be independent. And as she comes down the stairs, I just said, oh, Megan, you are beautiful. And you could see the corners of her mouth just trembling because she doesn't want to smile. She doesn't want to give me the satisfaction of knowing that I have that kind of power over her. But she just, her whole face just lit up. Men, your daughters are waiting for you to tell them what to think about themselves. And if you do that well, it makes it much easier 
for the man that will become their husband and the father of your grandchildren to feed into her a proper view of her own physical beauty. Here's, here's principle number three. Uh, and that, well, actually, let me go to principle number 2.5. Because I tell all of this has, has theological underpinnings. 2.5 is this, that words create worlds. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? He spoke it into existence. Because, men, you are created in the image of God. Women, you are as well. The words you speak create worlds. They cause things to come into being. Watch how this works. In verse 10, the man says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with string of pearls. So what happens? He says that. He says, I like your earrings. And all her friends then say to her, we will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. What he says he likes, her friends rally around her and help her build this reality so that she can entrap her man. Well, that may not be the politically correct way to say it, but there you go. Principle number uh, three. Now, before we fill in the blank here, I want you to guess. Let's just, just put it up without the blank. Women are. Go ahead and share with your neighbor. What, what do you think I am going to fill in the blank? Women are. I hesitated about this word because I didn't want to offend anybody, but this is the right word. Women are erotic. Ooh. Some of you men are going, oh. uh, here's why I say that. Listen to what the woman says about herself. While the king was at his table, now stop there. Where, where, where is he at? He's at the table. This is the kitchen. This is the dining room. What's she thinking about? The bedroom. That's where she's headed. Men, you think that intimacy is for the bedroom? It starts in the kitchen. My perfume spread its fragrance. The, that word for perfume is actually a specific kind of fragrance that came from the Himalayas hundreds of miles away. She spent a great deal of time, attention, and money so that she can smell nice. That's the first perfume. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting. Well, you women read it earlier, and then you giggled because you know it's true. That's when his, never mind. The myrrh comes from Arabia. It's another very erotic, exotic spice. And a woman's thinking about this intimacy with her husband-to-be. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Engedi was this oasis in the desert, one of the ugliest places on earth around the Dead Sea. Right in there, there's this waterfall and this greenery. It's where David hid when Saul was chasing him. It's a beautiful place. And what the woman is saying is, it doesn't matter if everything else is dry around me. If I'm with him, I am in paradise. If he is with me, if, if this sachet of myrrh between my breasts, if, his, if he was laying there, oh, my life would be good. Women are thinking that. Again, is it hot in here? Is this a lovely passage of scripture for sure. Women think about this more than men you probably think they do. Because of their propriety, though, they want to hide it and be 
coy with it, to keep it in its proper place, and that's good and righteous and holy. But as you date this woman, you need to know that what happens uh, at the dinner table is going to affect what happens later that night and later in your marriage. Here is principle uh, number four. Men initiate, women reciprocate. And here's what I mean by that. As we read this passage, there was a little bit of back and forth. Notice here in verse 15, it says, he, and that's what he says. And then she responds, verse 16. And then she responds, verse 17, going on to chapter two, verse one. And then he responds again in chapter two, verse two. There's a back and forth. If If you are in a relationship, you already know this relationships always, always, always will circle upward or spiral downward. They're always moving. They're never static. And they don't circle upward by accident. It's always with deliberate effort that you push forward in your relationship upward. It takes like if, if you're just letting it happen, letting it go, it will always, gravitational pull of relationships will always spiral downward. I want to give you a, just kind of a, a practical a bit, a bit of advice here. It's from a book called His Needs, Her Needs by Dr. Dana Harley. The subtitle of it is How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. And he simply lists these five needs of men. Let's put them up on the screen. This will not surprise you. The number one need, well, let's go ahead and put all five of them up on the screen. These are the five needs of men, and some men will order them differently, and you know, not everybody's the same. Sometimes in your life, uh, you might, admiration might be the number one need for you. In fact, for me, admiration is not number five. It's, it's up there at number two for me. You, you might have other needs uh, from the female side, so I'm not saying that men only have these needs, but typically, typical male, am I right? These are our top five needs, and often in the order of which we have them. And the problem for a woman is, and it's the same thing backwards with men trying to meet women's needs, women trying to meet men's needs, I try to meet your needs by meeting my own needs, so, for example, a recreational companionship. I'll say, you know, I, I, love, I love doing anything active with my wife, taking a hike or taking a walk or playing tennis. or I, I love doing that with my wife. She has almost ne- zero need for athletic events. I have almost zero need for conversation. I remember Barry and Tammy, I was doing their premarital. Uh, she was a virgin. He was definitely not. And he had this past and this history. He was a DJ in Florida. And I said, Barry, you know how you need sex? And he goes, oh, yeah. It was a need, a drive for him. I said, that's how much Tammy needs, needs, needs conversation. And this is a quote. No way. And, and I said, Tammy, you know how much you need conversation? You need it. It's not optional. You have to talk. Yes, that's how much he needs physical touch. And she just, she was so cute. Just a little virgin sitting there going, really? 
like that much to understand. Now, here's, here's something else. When, when, when I talk to my wife, it's not because I have that need. It's because she has that need. But when I meet her needs, she is better able to meet my needs. Ladies, you know this is true, right? Here are the top five needs for women. The first one is affection, then conversation, honesty and openness, financial commitment, and family commitment. Guys, if you are slamming her parents or her brothers or her cousins, it's not going to bode well for you. Family is far more important to women than it is to men typically. And she needs you to be approving and a part of her family. If you don't offer her that, then her needs will be unmet in that area and she will be less able to meet your needs. So here's just kind of a a couple of really helpful things. This is not a Christian thing. This is a thing thing. And if you're not a believer today, this is as true for you as every Christian who ever lived. If you meet your wife's needs or your dating partner's needs, if you meet those needs, she will be far more capable of meeting your needs. And here's part of the tension in our marriages. Dating relationships are mostly about meeting women's needs, especially if you're a Christian and you're celibate. You're mostly meeting her needs. You get married and it completely flip-flops and suddenly his needs are being prioritized in the relationships and we often leave her needs out. The average dating couple spends 15 hours a week in one-on-one conversation. You know how, how, how much a married couple spends on average? Less than 30 minutes a week. So no wonder a woman may feel betrayed in the marriage because suddenly she's taking care of his domestic needs because you're living together. She's taking care of his physical needs and he is dropping the ball on the conversational needs. What happens then when a a man doesn't meet his wife's needs, she is less capable of naturally meeting his needs and it's vice versa. You will always, always circle upward or spiral downward. And when men begin to get their needs met in marriage, if they get lazy, that's when the dating drops off in marriage. And I think dating is actually more important in marriage than before marriage. Because it keeps prioritizing her needs so that she is capable of better meeting your needs. And I recognize, as I say this, I I can sense the tension in the room because Look, all of us, my wife and I have been married for over 30 years. They've not all been good years, and they've not all been good months. Can we just be honest about that? So who is responsible? When we are at this, we start sliding downward and spiraling downward, who is responsible for reversing it and meeting the other person's need first? Because you know how it is. Well, if you do that, I would do this. But she's not doing this, so I'm not going to do that. You know how that works. Who is responsible? Always, always the man. Why do I say that? Because we are God's spiritual leader of the family. That is your responsibility. Now, ladies, I'm not saying that you should never initiate. Obviously, if you do, it will be helpful in the marriage. But if you stood before God on judgment day and God said, why, why was your marriage spiraling downward? He's not going to talk first to the woman. He will speak first to the man. How do I know that? Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. 
Eve took the first bite, but Adam took the first hit from God. Why? Because he is the spiritual leader of the family. And if your relationship is not where you feel like it needs to be, then men, take the program with you today, read your wife's needs, and have an honest conversation with her at lunch. What, what is your greatest need? How would, how would you rank these needs? And she might actually have a need on the male side. That's okay. But let her tell you what her greatest needs are. And what I've found in my life is the order has changed over the years. And when my wife is really good at meeting one of my needs, that becomes less urgent for me. It's your unmet needs that are often uh, a priority for you. So maybe, maybe that will just be a little helpful tool for you. Boy, it got heavy in here. Let's go to number five. Uh, men, you control the timing. And yes, I'm talking about that. It says in verse three, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. Little cultural background. Apples were aphrodisiacs. She's talking about a love potion. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Uh, that verse has been subject to all kinds of salacious interpretations. I'll not bore you with that. <laughs> Simply to say, when she kisses him, she likes his lips on hers. Let, me, let him lead me to the banquet hall. Again, where are we? We're at the table. That's where we start. Where are we going to finish? Read on. Let his, banner over, let his banner over me be love. Now, again, a little cultural background. Where did they have banners? It was on the battlefield. When the king arranged his troops, he would have banners for the different kinds of troops. And when it was time for the archers to go, he would raise the banner over the archers. Then he would raise his banner over the horses. Then he would raise his banner uh, over the, the, the footmen. When a banner is raised, it means it's either time to fight or you just conquer that area. And that battalion raises the banner and says, we have conquered the territory for the king. So when, it's, when she says his banner over me is love, she's, it's, it's like a military term where I, I want him, I've got some territory. I am his territory. I want him to raise his banner over me. I want him to take ownership over me. I want him to take responsibility. I want him to have his way with me and strengthen me with raisins, another aphrodisiac. Refresh me with apples, there it is again, for I am faint with love. Oh, there you go. Uh, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Where are they now? I mean, don't let your imagination run wild. You're in church after all. But we are also in a movie theater and you've seen those romance movies, right? What position are they? They're in the bedroom now. And she is ready to offer herself to him. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does in the field. You know what that means? I have no clue. I do know what this means. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. One of the worst things that you can do in a dating relationship is expedite intimacy that belongs in marriage. But here's the problem. In our culture, who holds the stop sign to the bedroom? The man or the woman? 
in our culture, it's the women. And ladies, I don't mean this as any insult to you, but once a man wins your heart, you will give him the rest of yourself. I've been in ministry long enough to see this happen again and again and again, especially uh, with older adults like uh, uh, you, you, after a divorce, uh, when you're dealing with singles ministries. This is, this is always true. If the woman says, I'm going to be celibate until I get mar- married, married or until I get married again, it really doesn't matter. It matters who she dates. Because if a man says, we are going to be celibate, they're celibate. If the woman says we're going to be celibate and the man says, no, we're not, they're nine times out of eight, they're not. I'm not, I'm not, being, I'm not insulting you women. But please don't hear me say that. God designed you in a way that once you give your heart, you, you are open to him. And that's why it is she who says, please don't awaken love before it's time. She's, she's ready to give herself to him. And she's asking, don't take before it's time. And I want to have an honest conversation with you. And, and, and again, you just have to know my heart. And I know I'm a guest and you don't know me well, but uh, I grew up in a, in a pretty legalistic church where morality was about keeping rules of God. And, and I, don't, I don't want to live that way anymore. Because I, I found that telling people, uh, you don't do this and don't do that and don't smoke and don't chew and don't drink and don't have premarital sex, it, it's not effective preaching. Because if you want something, you're going to get it. And telling people it's off limits, when you draw a line, even the Apostle Paul said, I wouldn't know what coveting was, is that the law said don't covet. Law makes you lust. And I don't want to make you lust. And, and, and it may sound like, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, feel good preaching to say, no, this is better for you, or psychological preaching saying this is better for you to dip into psychology rather than in scriptures. But listen, listen. Psychology starts with God, and he put desires in you so that you would drive your behavior towards those desires so that you could live a life that is most fulfilling, most blessed, most healthy. And so I want to I tell you a little bit about the psychology of premarital intimacy. And if you're living together, look, I, I don't want to guilt trip you. I, I'm just telling you what secular psychologists have known for years, that it is unhealthy for the long-term relationship to have premature intimacy. In fact, there's a woman named uh, Meg Jay. She's not a believer. She wrote a book called The Defining Decade. She's been dealing with millennials for years, and she advises every woman in her 20s not to move in with a man before they're married. Not because of anything moral, but here's the fact of how women, well, how young couples work. Let's say you're 24 and you move in with a guy and you, you're in love and you know, things are going well and, and about two years pass and you realize he's not the right guy for me. How long does it take you to break off that relationship? If you are not living together, it will happen in a month, two months, three months. But if you have the same address 
it will take two years on average for you to back out of a bad relationship. So you go from 24 to 26 and you're happy, then you're not happy, and you go from 26 to 28. By age 28, many or most of your friends are already married and you have missed the window of the best opportunity for you to find the man of your dreams because you're living with a dipstick. Don't do that to yourself. Here's something else. For a woman, what is, the, what, is the, what is the most precious gift a woman can give to a man? What is the most intimate gift? What is the most vulnerable? It's her, it's her own body. For men, the, what is the most precious gift he can give to a woman? It's not his body. I mean, we're just, whatever. Let it all hang out. For, for us, that physical, that, it, it, there's just a different sense with physical intimacy with a man and a woman. A woman is giving to a man the most precious part of her, the most precious part of it for a man, the most difficult thing for a man, the most sacrificial thing for a man is, and I'm going to say this word, guys, I apologize. I know it'll make you shudder commitment. Women, why on earth? Would you give your most precious gift to a man who won't give his most precious gift to you? That doesn't make sense to me. And that creates an inequitable relationship where he has power over you without investing in you. And that's why, as a pastor, if a couple comes to me who is living together, I will not marry them until they have a time of separation where he fights for her most precious gift so that she can give freely and fully herself to him. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It sure makes sense uh, according to statistics. If a man and a woman live together before marriage, they are 50 to 80% more likely to get divorced. If a man and woman live together before marriage, the increase of violence, uh, domestic violence, goes up. Why? Because if a man can't control his sexual urges, he won't control his anger either. In, in these relationships where you live together before marriage, the, the working of a man, the, the employment of a man actually goes down. Why? Because he moves from his mother's basement to your living room. You're already providing for him. Do you want a husband or do you want a son? Make a choice. When you live together before marriage, you increase the likelihood of you raising two children, not one. Now, again, I don't want to induce guilt and I don't want to induce shame. Actually, I want you to have the best possible marriage that you can. And doing God's things, God's ways will foster that. Now, let me draw, draw a line underneath all of this because I think this is, is so important. Here's the takeaway for the day. Godly dating is practice for worship. And the reason we want to date well is not merely that we'll have a God-honoring marriage that builds his church and builds communities, but so that we will know better how to give God the most precious, the most intimate in his honor. And so I, I want to pray right now, and the band's going to come up, and let's just practice what we've preached. Holy Father, thank you for this gift of romance and, and marriage and dating. Help us do it well so that we can learn best how to connect with you. And in this moment, we're just going to open up our chests. We're going to open up our mouths. We're going to offer you the praise you deserve. 
help us in that to know you at the deepest and most intimate levels. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.